0: Welcome to the Writer Dojo. With your host Steve Diamond. That's me and Larry Korea. Coon. today's episode: <laughs> the discipline of idea management.
1: All right, okay, Larry. So we've talked a lot so far about you know the various processes that we've that we go through. We talk. We've talked about you know how to how to basically take ourselves and our processes seriously and, and try to to move them forward into creating things that as you always say that someone is willing to pay you money for
2: yeah the, the thing is, is like where do ideas come from and how do we oh my how gosh. do we use them
1: you know what how, how many how many signings has someone asked you hey where do you get your ideas from you know Larry?
2: that is actually probably if I had to say one of the single most common questions that I get besides Larry why are you such a jerk is uh. Where do ideas come from or where do I get ideas? Or, or you always hear about, uh, and I've had this a few times, and I heard this from a lot of writers where somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, I've got this really awesome idea. How about we team up and you do that whole big writing a book part of like you know yeah. six to ten months of labor and, and I'll give you my awesome idea and then we can share the yeah. profits.
1: Right, because that's fair.
2: Because that's how it works. Uh-huh. No, the, the thing is ideas – ideas are actually the easiest part ideas are a dime a dozen if you're in this business or you want to be in this business and you don't have any ideas i got some bad
1: news for you this might not be the career for you right you know what before we before we dive in let's talk about the danger here okay i know a person who and i'm and i'm gonna carefully avoid using names and such to to protect the anonymity of the guilty but uh this person decided that writing a book was going to be an awesome idea, and they were going to do it. Okay, kudos.
2: Cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good for you. Them. Know that's
1: that's what we tell every single person that yeah. comes up to us and says, "Hey, I want to be an author." We're yeah. like, "Sweet, high fives. Go for it." Here's my encouragement. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, you know enjoy your next 12 to 18 months of figuring this out, right? So what this person did is is quit their job. Oh. Okay. Because their parent offered to basically subsidize them for a period of a year oh. so that they could do nothing but sitting down and and going through the writing process and writing a book and selling it all within a year which if you know anything about the writing process it's it's slow and it's glacial even i mean from the even if you write your book in a month the whole idea of taking that and selling it and getting it published and all of that stuff it's, it's a slow process. Yeah, it takes a while. Unless you're self-published and, and you know. And you, even then. And even then, it's, man, there are hoops to jump through. You're not going to build an audience in a year. Absolutely not. I mean, unless you're really, really lucky. So after about six months, I checked in with this individual. I said, hey, how's it going? I'm curious. I'm curious. How is this going? Uh, and the person says, well, you know, I haven't really done anything yet. And I kind of went, whoa, okay, why not? Like, did you get a job? Like, what's going on? And the person says, no, no, no. I just, you know, I just haven't had any good ideas. (laughs) Right? Now, this person went on and and never and and, and didn't sell the book. Um,
2: I feel bad for their parents.
1: Well, and and, and the parent, you know, it's that turned into a colossal waste of time. Again, you know, I've I've spoken previously about how when I write Oftentimes I take PTO off of work and then I, I go and I lock myself into a room or just chill at the kitchen table forever and annoy my wife and I binge write. And I, I get everything done because if I only have a fixed amount of time to accomplish something, then by golly, I'm going to accomplish it come hell or high water.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I this story makes me sad for a couple of reasons because basically that person's been set up to fail with the arbitrary time period. Later on when you get going as a writer and you have deadlines placed upon you by your publishing house that's okay because by the point you're 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 at where there's enough demand for your books to have deadlines that's okay because you have enough practice to have those ideas you you know how to cultivate them in your your magical idea garden that is your brain ideas are literally everywhere and I will have ideas They'll just come to me, or I'll see something cool, or it'll be a cool visual, or there'll just be some interesting thought or some research kick I go off on, uh, and I'll write them down somewhere. I'll have, like, a, a file, or or if it's really cool, I'll just remember it. But I'll note these things down, and a lot of times, those ideas don't belong in the story that I'm writing right now. However, they could belong in the next story. Or sometimes, you'll get two or three ideas that they don't seem to be related but then give it a little time to percolate, and those things will click, and all of a sudden, those three ideas will merge together, and boom! There's your next book. Well, and
1: literally, ideas come from everywhere. Oh yeah, constantly. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you, both you and I share a common a common love of just music. We both love music.
2: Oh yeah, we both write to music. We both write music. to music.
1: Although I think I think you tend to trend more towards um, towards uh, instrumental. I'm, I'm listen, more right?
2: instrumental soundtracks. And I know you're yeah. more like metal. And, I, I uh, listen.
1: To, I listen. Well. I listen to the music that fits the mood of the story that I'm writing. Yeah. So if I'm writing, if the music puts me in the brain of a cyberpunk type thing, then, then I'm not going to use that music when I'm listening to or when I'm writing, say, Servants of War.
2: Yeah, right. Servants War, I was listening to like the soundtrack
1: from The Witcher three. See, perfect. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, because exactly. that that book is literally nineteen seventeen Meets the Witcher.
2: Yeah. Well I talked about like in the in a previous episode, I talked about where Son of the Black Sword came from, and it's because of a Hans Zimmer song.
1: Yeah. Was the first
2: spark. So ideas are – there's definitely ideas in music, just the vibe you get. You yeah. ever listen to a song and, and like, uh, like, like you start unfolding a music video in your head? Absolutely.
1: Well, congratulations. You have what it takes to be a writer, you know right, what I mean? Right, yeah. right. Or, you know, one time uh, at a previous job – the HR person sends me a message. Now, at the time, I was in charge of all fixed assets. In the technical term, for all of you out there who I know are just dying to understand the world of accounting. we we'll should start an accounting we podcast. We should start the accounting podcast. Um, the accounters, the accounting dojo. Yeah. Anyway, the, the HR person sent me a message and said, hey, do I capitalize God and I was and I and I remember and I remember stare at that email for a good five minutes because you're
2: thinking in accounting
1: terms and I'm thinking in accounting terms and I'm going, well how would, how would a God be a fixed asset? How would you depreciate that? Like I don't understand. Like like is that a is that a five year term? Is that a is that a ten year term? Five million. Is that a, is that a thirty year term? Like 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 leasehold improvements? Like how is this? And then after about five or ten minutes, I realized, oh no no. They're just asking grammar. Like, is it uppercase G or is that a lowercase G? However. Well, that depends if you're talking generic or specific. Exactly. Mm-hmm. However, the interesting thing about that is then I went, well, hey there. Hello, Mr. Idea. How, do, how would you capitalize a God? That means it's a product. How do you go from there? And so I have, so I have this, this buried short story that I've written about that, right? Ideas come from everywhere from misinterpreting a word to mishearing, a, to mishearing a, a, a lyric in a song to hearing a symphonic song and having that, that music video pop in your head out of frickin' nowhere. Yes. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, watching a show like we've talked about before and saying, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be really cool if instead of this, the story had gone this other direction? I've written so many things based, uh, for just ideas have come
2: from the weirdest place. I have a character named Wendell the Manatee. He Wendell <laughs> T. Manatee is a recurring character in many of my, many, all, our, my comedic stuff, I should say. Wendell doesn't show up in the serious books. But Wendell the Manatee is this eloquent manatee. But where Wendell the Manatee comes from was many, many years ago, long before I was a writer, I had a Ford Aerostar uh, minivan. Piece of crap and everything on it leaked, including the power steering pump. And so whenever you turned the wheel, it would go, woo, and it would make all these weird noises. And so one time I, I pick up my brother, and we're driving along, and I turn, and it's as I go around the corner, and my brother goes, what the hell is that, a manatee? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, that just made me laugh, and uh, that's actually where the original – because manatees don't actually make noises in real life, as I've been told by many a marine biologists. Um, but yeah, that's where Windle came from, uh, was that. And well, heck, Monster Hunter. So the, the thing, my bread and butter, uh, where it comes from was I was on the internet. Uh, and it was, a, it was a discussion forum, uh, it was a, a gun discussion forum. And I've, I've given thank yous to these guys in the books. Uh, started by a guy named Ian McMurtry, who is an author now uh ian has gone on and done a lot of fun he, he's uh, done a lot of like humorous cop novels uh, the wild dog files mm-hmm. get them on amazon but ian has started this thread this is many years ago it was like lines i'd like to hear in a horror movie someday and it was a bunch of gun nuts making cracks about the the because the, how most horror movies would be over if they starred gun nuts like right. the horror movie would be over in 10 minutes Right? Oh, right. it's a horrible monster. Boom. You know, And so all these gun nuts are making these cracks. And this one guy named Dillis Freeman uh, made this quote as like, uh, you know what the difference between me and you really is? You look out there and see a horde of evil brain-eating zombies. I look out there and see a target-rich environment. I laughed because it was funny. But then I was like, oh, man. Wow. That's actually a really interesting philosophical point of people who look out there and see this opportunity in the zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And from that, uh, and at the point, I, I kind of wanted to write, you know, uh, an action adventure novel. Anyway, but That's really where Monster Hunter started germinating was from that line. And in fact, I, I have that quote in the intro of the first book. Um, it was just too awesome not to do. So it was like ideas like everywhere. We all have funny friends, right? Oh, yeah. Usually it's me. <laughs> okay, so to give you an idea. So, so Steve will know exactly what I'm talking about here. But when we're like when we're gaming, and we call it writer nerd game night because there's so many novelists in our game nights. One of us would have uh, during the role playing game like, some really super cool line. Somebody would say some really amazing line of dialogue, and I swear we'd all be like, whoa, that's badass. But then we'd all look at each other like, oh who's going to steal that line of dialogue first? Right. <laughs> Which one of us gets dibs on that absolutely Suddenly amazing Suddenly it turned line? into
1: an episode of, or, or into the movie Knives Out.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, that's, it's, it, so the ideas, like, they're just honestly all around you.
1: You know, when, when I first, when the idea to write Residue came into my brain, it came from several places. One of them was reading the book Necroscope by Brian Lumley. Oh yeah, Good phenomenal stuff. author. Good one of stuff. my one of my favorite authors of all time. Um, in the cover art by Bob Eggleton, which means I love Bob Eggleton for eternity. Oh yeah. Um, and I was super watching. Talented. And I was watching the show Chuck. <laughs> at the same time, right? Yeah. One super horrible horror author, and then super lighthearted Actiony comedy, but it has show. That,
2: but it has Adam Baldwin in it, which makes and it has it Adam Baldwin, awesome,
1: and he's fantastic. Because Adam Baldwin
2: is the best, and I will brook no dissension
1: on that on this podcast. That's right, that's right. <laughs> we 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 never talk in absolutes unless we're talking about Adam Baldwin.
2: Yeah, Adam Baldwin wins.
1: So I was I was I had those two ideas floating around in my head, and like you said, on the surface, there's no way that those two ideas have any relevance to each other. Necroscope is basically a piece of Cthulhu that falls to earth and turns people into vampires. Chuck is about a secret agent and a girl who's hot, who's also a secret agent, but better at it. Right? Yeah, those two I, things I see where this is going. Those have read residue. You have red residue. <laughs> so those two things on the surface have nothing to do with each other. And then one day, I remember having a conversation, and I don't remember even who with, but we were talking about young adult fiction and how. In so much young adult fiction, half the book is the female protagonist curled up in a corner lamenting about how some boy is, you know, didn't smile at her the right way. And, and that's just exhausting to me. It's exhausting. I just can't do it. And I was like, you know what? I would really like to write a story where, one, the YA story where the protagonist is a male because boys read YA too, for crying out loud. And where the girl isn't just a flaming piece of of garbage, where she's hyper, hyper, just, you know, just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Competent. Competent. Thank you. We're well, writers.
2: And you made her not only just competent, but competent. And she wasn't just born competent because she's like, no. the story required it. She trained her butt off. Exactly. And she came from a background where it would make sense
1: that she would train her butt off. And so... And at, at one crazy moment in my, in my brain, all those things kind of all slammed together. And I went, "Ah dang. I can do weird, psychic-y, horror, monstery stuff, but like with two kind of good, funny characters that have a good relationship. And they're competent. And, and that's how Residue was born. Yeah. So you never know. I can totally see that. You never know where your ideas are going to come from. But if if you're staring at these ideas and you're trying to force them into place, man, look, ideas are a dime a dozen. They're going to come. There, there's going to be thousands that are hitting you every day. When we come back from break, I want to tell
2: the story of where I got the idea for hard magic. All right. because I, I know this one. This is a good this story. This is a trilogy born out of spite.
1: Yes. All right. So with that, we're going to take our break so that Larry can... Uh, can get his 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 storytelling juices flowing so we can tell the the (laughs) genesis of what becomes one of my favorite series by him hard magic we'll be right back
0: meet jack bishop a normal kid at a normal school who is shocked to discover that he has the unexpected ability to see psychic residue left behind by both murder victims and monsters When his father is abducted from the mysterious company where he works as head of security, Jack teams up with fellow student and mind reader Alexandra to search for his father and stop the series of murders happening in his hometown before it is too late. Steve Diamond's debut novel, Residue, is a young adult supernatural thriller for readers looking for action, suspense, humor, and horror. Read the book New York Times bestselling author of the Shannara Chronicles, Terry Brooks, calls... An intense, high-energy, what lurks in the shadow, tale of monsters, both men and otherwise. Larry Correa, New York Times bestselling author of The Saga of the Forgotten Warrior, says Residue has the best prom scene since Carrie. Residue is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Pick up your copy today.
1: Alright, welcome back everyone to the Writer Dojo. Again, I'm Steve Diamond, and I'm here with my good friend Larry Correa, and we're talking about the discipline of plot, or of of idea management, excuse me.
2: Yeah, so I was going to tell you guys how hard magic came about. I was brand new as an author, and I was at LTUE, uh, which is a writing conference in Provo, Utah. And I think I just had a couple books out at the time, and they were all uh, urban fantasy was what they were considered. And uh, so I was on this panel with some big heavy hitters, uh, Lee Modisett. Uh, who's awesome uh, Dave Wolverton so Most of you know him As Dave Farland Who's written Hundreds of novels And Brandon Sanderson Who we've talked about before And kind of a big deal Right And then little old me I was the noob scrub On the panel And the panel was about Something I can't even remember Huge room And they were mostly College students And because at the time LTUE was held at a college It's not anymore Thank goodness You know <laughs> And uh, so this kid Raises his hand And he goes I got a question and blah, blah, blah. And he asked what the question is. I can't even really remember what it was. And um, I had a really good answer for that question.
1: It was pertinent to me. It had something to do with epic fantasy.
2: Yeah, and but I had, a, I had a good answer. And I was like, yeah. so I, start, I was like, excitedly, I start to answer. The kid cuts me off. He cuts me off. He goes, no, no, no. You're just an urban fantasy writer. I want to hear what the epic fantasy writers have to say. And I was like, and I can't use the actual words that I muttered under my breath on on the air because we get demonetized. But I was like, you little, so I sit down, I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was torqued, right? And uh, so the second the panel is over, I looked over at Dave, Brandon, and Lee. I was like, all right, guys, what are the rules of what's something in epic fantasy? And they tell me, it's like, well, it's usually a lot of big character, you know, big plot, world-spanning characters. They give me kind of the, I was like, check, 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 check got it. I got up. I was so pissed. I don't even remember who this kid is. I'm driving home with Mike Coopery, who is my co-author on Dead 6. We're driving home, and I'm like, I have to write an epic fantasy next. He's like, what? (laughs) He's he's like, what's that? I was like, well, Brandon and Lee and Dave said it's this, this, and this, and uh, Mike's like, okay. So I start brainstorming on the way home, and I start coming up with a plot. But I don't have a setting yet. I have a plot. I start coming up with a plot of Hard Magic. I walk into my house. I'm still fuming, and I'm talking to Mike. But at this point, you know, we're kind of like, you know, this is kind of cool stuff we're talking about. My son is sitting on the couch at the time. He's just a little kid, and he's reading a comic book. And it wasn't even the actual comic book. It was like a Marvel art thing. And on the cover was Noir Spider-Man. Yep. And I saw that, and I was like, he's Spider-Man, and with a fedora and a trench coat and a Webley revolver. Such and an I,
1: iconic, awesome image.
2: Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. I looked at that, and I go, oh. That's badass. And Mike goes, yeah, stuff was way cooler when men wore hats. And, the, and then Mike goes, you know what else? They had Zeppelins, too. They had Zeppelins back then. And I stopped and was like, oh. Because all of a sudden, that plot that we had just brainstormed from the drive from Provo to West Jordan, I was like, all of a sudden, it got cramped into a 1930 setting. And the next thing you know, I hurried up and I cranked that book out. like, Because uh, I, was, I was enthused. And uh, that's where it came from. The idea was basically a combination of spite, anger, and the fact that fedoras and zeppelins are cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Undoubtedly so. So, you know, I think this leads into a really good, to really good question then, which is kind of the whole point of this, of this episode, the discipline of idea management. So you had these, these wonderful, great ideas that eventually turn into one of my favorite pieces of fiction that you've written. What what was your process then for saying, okay, I've got these ideas. I've got these ideas. Which ones are the right ideas? Which yeah. ones are the wrong ideas? That's
2: a really good question because just because it's a trap you fall into a lot of writers, especially when you're starting out, uh, and they feel like they're only going to write one book, they try to cram every idea into the book. This is where the discipline part comes now, very, very few writers can take every single idea in their head, unless they don't have very much room in there, and cram <laughs> <laughs> – well, we know that guy, too. Um, but you can't cram everything, and there's a time and a place. And so sometimes you have, like, a really cool idea, but it just doesn't fit. I think we've all seen that, where there's, like, a book, and uh, it's a good book, but there's, like, this one really discordant element that just doesn't seem to fit – and usually I can tell, it's like, well, that writer thought that was a really cool idea. And didn't have the heart to cut it. And didn't have the heart to cut it. So the discipline part is, okay, so you got all these cool ideas. This is where, like, we talked about outlining versus versus discovery writing before. But one of the things I like about outlining is I can go through and I can catalog all the really cool ideas that fit this particular setting. Uh, and the stuff that doesn't fit, well, I'll kind of stick that off to the side and I'll save it and let it percolate and stew And there will be a cool spot for it sometime later. I have ideas um, of things that, like, you know, I I had this idea like seven or eight years ago, and I've never used it yet. It's still floating out there because I haven't had the right project to use it on yet. Um, But, so... So for like hard magic, I I started with those cool things where I was going to use the 1930s aesthetic. And then I immediately started doing research into that time period. I decided I was going to make it an alternate
1: history. Now, how much research did you actually do for hard magic? Tons.
2: Uh, I actually got myself, because I'm kind of a little fanatical. I have a fixation. I have fixation issues, which is one reason I'm annoying, but also another reason that I'm successful. And that I will pick an idea and I'll get hyper-focused on it and I'll learn everything I can for fun. Um, and so I basically gave myself, like, the equivalent to, a, like, a history degree of, like, 1920 to 1940. <laughs> I just, I mean, checked out tons of books, uh, read everything I could get my hands on, immersed myself in, like, the, the music, which I hate, by the way. I actually hate. Really? I hate the music of that time period.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Which is interesting because I, at one point, um, my friend I call Pirate Bob because yeah. of his piracy ability. Steve knows Pirate I Bob. I know Pirate Bob. Actually, Pirate, speaking ideas, there's a character named Pirate Bob in Hard Magic. Who is based upon a real guy? Um, There's a character named Steve Diamond in there that's based off a real guy too. Just throwing well, that out there. He's in the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Diamond shows up in the second one, and then and then gets. I won't say. Well, no spoilers in the third one. Uh, Warbound, but um, he's
1: amazing. He's a great character. Larry should write a whole trilogy just about him. <laughs>
2: I, I kill a lot of my friends in books. Um, no, but so Pirate Bob was like, where's one of those ideas? That, it's like, I know this guy who's an old pirate. How am I not going to... I had to put him in this book with zeppelins. Um, so you start cataloging your ideas. Well, so Pirate Bob had got me several hundred songs of the 1920s to 1940s. Um, so you start putting all this stuff together and you start going through your list of ideas. Like, this is cool. This is cool. I wanted to have this magic system that was like, using very hard rules, mm-hmm. hence the title uh, so it's not a porno. Sounds like it when you first hear it, but it's not. I promise. Um, and I had these different ideas for action scenes. Some worked in a setting with people with superpowers. I had some things I wanted to do in action scenes that I, I never was able to use in Monster Hunter because the main characters in Monster Hunter are primarily human. Right, right. So I can't do. I can't have the heroes teleporting. I can't have the heroes changing the direction of gravity. But all of a sudden for hard magic, I could. So I had different ideas that I had out there for years that all of a sudden I could start cramming into this book. Um, and you just kinda of go from there. So the discipline is know what to use, know what not to use. It's like it's like cooking a dish. You don't use every ingredient in your cupboard or it's gonna taste like crap. Right.
1: You just use the certain ones that go together. Well, and you know, I, I think I think so much of this, like like everything that we talk about, right? It comes down to practice. You know, we absolutely. You know what, what's the what's the thing they always say that it takes it takes ten thousand hours to become competent at any job that you do or something along those lines. I'm probably butchering that phrase, but
2: no, but they have done studies where it's to, to, to master a thing it's about ten thousand hours of doing it. Yeah, before you're good.
1: You know, and 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 writing is no different.
2: Well, with writing, that people always say it's a million words, right? I don't know if that's true.
1: You know, that I, seems like... A, I, I think that's a pretty arbitrary number. Yeah, cause... it's a pretty
2: arbitrary I think it's going to be how intense you were during that and how serious you were in that. Because you can write a million words of crap and still suck. Oh, yeah. You know? But I think it's, so it's like the 10,000 hour thing was, I remember it was like 10,000 professional quality hours of doing that as hmm. your job. You know, to get, I think so I think writing is probably the same.
1: Which, which in terms of, of actual time spent, that's five years. That's... Okay, that's a significant amount of time. Yeah, and so if you, like Larry says, if you're treating this seriously, if you, if you are showing, and again, we use the word discipline on purpose. The word discipline it has it has many it has many different connotations, and we're kind of using all of them here.
2: Well, in the writer dojo sense, this is one of those things you're going to go out and you're going to punch boards a lot.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. idea management. Yeah, you're going to wax on, you're going to wax off. Yeah, this never gets
2: old. This is something you're going to do your entire career.
1: And, and one of the things that, that, that we haven't really talked about is it's, it's your ability to, to stay humble and your ability to, to always be teachable and to learn from all of your experiences and to learn from your peers but and to learn those, from your editors.
2: The humility is a great point because that's where like, the, the quality editor comes in. Because Quality yeah. editor comes in and says, this is a bad idea. This, this thing you did here, this was not good. Uh, this doesn't work. I, I've mentioned Tony Weisskopf before and how much I love her, but Tony is a wonderful editor, and a lot of times she doesn't go in and take command and tell you, you must fix it this way. Tony comes in and says, this doesn't work because of this and this. Fix it. Yeah. And once you have a good relationship with Tony, after she's edited like you know a dozen of my books, I one time got an edit back from her, and literally this is what the edit said. The edit at the top of the page said, this scene sucks make it not suck <laughs> 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 greatest editor all right see but but that's that's true so you you got to have humility so just you have because you have an idea doesn't mean it's a good idea there's a lot of terrible ideas out there too as so you got to be able to recognize all right a lot of times there are bad ideas but in the hands of a capable artist who knows what they're doing those I those can be twisted and turned into something valuable
1: well you know let, let's talk about one of our our mutual friends and guy guys we respect more than most people and that's Jim Butcher.
2: Oh, I love Jim. Jim Jim is Jim Butcher is one of the dudes a national
1: treasure as far as writers go. So, how um, imagine the Dresden Files, the idea of a wizard living in Chicago. Yeah. Imagine that in the hands of an of an author who didn't have the enthusiasm, who wasn't willing to to cut ideas when they didn't work who was willing to put the work in. Yeah. I mean, and every fantastic idea that's out there can be a crap idea in someone else's hands. However, right. the reverse is also true. If you hear the
2: pitch, Wizard in Chicago, you know, you, you, that's going to be one of those that a lot of people would just butcher. It would be stupid. No um, pun intended? Um, <laughs> no, I didn't even, I, that was, I never intend my puns. <laughs> I'm not I a pun guy. I intend my puns. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> I punned. No, but um, in the hands of somebody less capable, that could be really stupid. Again, you know, we talk about, you and I both
1: love Dan Simmons.
2: Oh, oh my gosh. Dan Simmons is a great example ever of the master who could take the goofiest sounding ideas, weirdest pitch. Okay, I've described this before, but the the novel uh, Olympus and Ilium. The basic plot of Olympus is the space Jews are on post-apocalyptic Earth being guarded by dinosaurs and robots that are Muslims. But on Mars, the gods of Olympus are there, and the main character is an old history professor uh, from Earth who's been brought back to life to report on the gods of Olympus as they do their thing. And it's got, you know, Hector and Achilles and all that. Oh, except there's also the characters who are the space robots who, quote, Proust. From beyond Jupiter. That's you know, and then they just bring them all together, and yeah. it's like, what the crap? You know, you, you, oh, and Caliban's on a space on a space station, and I can't even remember what else. It's like <laughs> every weird freaking idea you can think of, Dan Simmons is just like, he makes it work. Well,
1: yeah, he's so good, and you almost feel bad for his agent, right? Because <laughs> he, he, except his he gets agent, 15% his agent hears the pitch, and his agent goes, well. Uh, I'm gonna go pitch this to uh to a publishing company. They're gonna give you a whole bunch of money, which means I get a whole bunch of money. So <laughs> high five, I guess. You'll see that Dan Simmons is like what I've told people was like about idea when I've talked about idea
2: management before. Dan Simmons can get away with that. You might not be Dan Simmons.
1: <laughs> yeah, none of. Let's be real. None of us are Dan Simmons. Yeah. You know, I I find I find that when it comes to idea management. I end up, I end up removing it, more ideas than, than I than I take in, because that lets me focus on the ideas that I really like and I'm excited for. Again, I'm a discovery writer, so excitement and momentum is key for me. Yeah. So if I'm getting too bogged down in too many ideas and I'm trying to juggle too much and and too much is going out there, then um, then I start getting lost. So by by me excluding ideas, that actually gives me more freedom to work within with with the good ideas that I have because
2: you're not trying to shoehorn in marginal no, ones exactly. yeah.
1: and 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 that's the thing. you know, I, I never want my books to feel like a checkbox book.
2: Oh, no, that's the you worst.
1: know, like I have a checklist, and I'm like, well, I have to give. I have to have characters that look like this or that have this. Oh, we'll, we'll this. talk.
2: We'll we'll do a whole episode on the dangers yeah. of checklisting and why it sucks. But you know, it's a, there's about the shoehorning idea. Sometimes you have an idea that's just not. It's a good idea, but it's not the right time. So in Monster Hunter, like I knew who Agent Franks was from the beginning. Spoiler alert! You know, uh, for those of you that read the series, you know this is a big deal. There was no place really in the first book that it was good or developed enough or appropriate. But in the second book, I I was able to take a big chunk of the book to build up to this really awesome and fun reveal that people have loved ever since. Um, so sometimes you have a good idea, and in that case, but it's not the right time yet. That's okay. Tease it a little bit. Throw it out there. If you're if you're writing a series, throw that out there and be like, "Ooh, here's a tantalizing little clue." Mm-hmm. Even if you don't spell it out, they don't even realize it's a clue. Then when they read the second book, they're like, "Whoa,
1: you planned that?" Yeah, I did. It got totally planned it. Totally planned it. So again, to, to to kind of wrap this up, I want to use the word again that we keep using, and that's discipline. Have the discipline to, to really sit down and focus on the good ideas that you have and making them work. Focus on making sure that those are the right ideas. But when you also have good ideas, have the discipline to just... Save them for later. Yeah, absolutely. So this is The Writer Dojo. Again, I'm Steve Diamond, and this is Larry Korea. Thank you all for tuning in. Take it easy.
0: Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea, Produced by Jack Wilder and Aaron Hare Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries, by Craig Nile. New episodes come out every Wednesday, wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving us a five-star rating or review, and by helping to spread the word. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com.
2: What the hell is that, a manatee?